Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a blessed Christmas. Yes? I know we did. Now, I I do want to just say one of the greatest blessings that Connie and I had was just your unbelievable love and care and all of the cards. Uh, My cardiologist and my dentist, thank you for all the, the food and the treats and the uh, we're just so blessed. Thank you. So many of you uh, showing your love and appreciation, and, and we are just delighted to be a part of the family, and uh, thank you for making our Christmas really, really, really wonderful. I also want to encourage you, uh, if you're here and you're a lady, uh, we've got a scant about 120 spots left in the ladies' retreat, and they're going to go quick, so I want to really encourage you, get signed up. Uh, If you wait to the last minute, there's a pretty good chance uh, that we're going to be completely full. So uh, if the Lord puts it on your heart to go, you probably want to do that sooner rather than later as we are getting fairly close to full. So they're going to be gone once they're gone. If you'd turn this morning to the first chapter here of the book of Philippians, we're going to pick up a couple of the really dynamic verses here. We'll pick up in verse 19 down to verse 21. In the study that I've entitled, What Really Matters to You? And we've seen these series of studies, Matters of the Heart, really kind of focusing in on on the internal relationship that we have with the Lord. And that internal must always reach the external. It can't be something that you just know or something that you just feel. If you truly have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's going to result in you living your life for him. And so we find here, as we pick up in verse 19, the source of our joy, the source of our real living, the source of who we are as Christians comes from this incredible expectation that we have that the God who created the heavens and earth, the Lord Jesus who came to this earth as Emmanuel, whom we've celebrated throughout this Christmas season, that that God now alive in us transforms our lives in such a way that we live with earnest expectation. And and as we live our lives that way, we become the very source and the tool whereby the Lord then shares the the joyous expectation with others. And so I want to just simply encourage you today, maybe you came in, you got a little bit of of a Christmas letdown going on. I pray that the Word of God would lift us into the heavenlies this day. Would you pray with me as we begin our time together? Uh, in the word. Father, we thank you again. Thank you for this incredible body. Lord, the wonderful work that you're doing here at Calvary Chapel South Bay and pray now that as we open up your word again to this majestic letter, God, would you take your word, which you authored by your spirit, would you encourage us and strengthen us? Would you bless us? Lord, would you draw us near? Thank you for loving us. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 19. And Paul now continuing the thought that he's made, it's a hard issue. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply 
of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now remember again, you need to understand where he's at. He's in prison, he's awaiting trial, and so he says these words as an affirmation of of the things that are going on in his life having spiritual value. Now, when we think of that, he's in prison awaiting trial. Those two things don't really go together. I know that this is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. You see, what he's really saying is everything in our lives. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, everything in your life is a tool that God can use to make himself known to others for the benefit, for the blessing of the kingdom. And so he brings this truth into view, and then he gives us a couple of the most impactful verses found here in the book of Philippians. And he tells us why, verse 20, it goes on to say, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen? And so the Apostle Paul, he makes this statement, and it almost seems like, you know, maybe he's got a little bit, he's got an issue going on upstairs. It, It almost sounds as though somebody who's a little too giddy about his circumstances, and those circumstances are actually going to lead to his eventual death. This is his final time in Rome. It will be from here that Paul will actually lose his life. And so he begins to focus in on what brings him joy and what should bring us joy. He uses a singular Greek word here to describe this eager or earnest expectation, apokaradokia. And what it it means is, is how we would normally express just this incredible desire to see something. You probably have all experienced it on the freeway in that long line of traffic that's inexplicable, and then you find out there's an accident on the other side. We call them looky-loos, you know, the guys that have to stop, and they're, they're, they're driving 12 miles an hour now on the freeway to see what happened on the other side. There's an earnest expectation We would use the same phrase when we describe maybe a presidential parade. Or perhaps, you know, when they moved the space shuttle to Exposition Park, you know, people were lining, how in the world are you going to move the space shuttle down through downtown Los Angeles and put it on display? And so people are looking and they're craning their neck and they're trying to see. And Paul uses the same phrase to talk about his life with Christ and his expectancy and his hope in who he is in Christ. It's as if you had, you know, paid the insane amounts of money to get those front row seats at the Rose Parade. And then you've got the people in front of you who can't quite stay still or sit down. You know who I'm talking about? Or that person at the movie theater who has to, they have an uncanny ability to get right in front of your view and you adjust yours. Every time they move, you move. It's earnest expectation. You want to see what you want to see, and nothing is going to keep you from getting there. You will do what you have to do in order to see what you need to see. It is as if you took hope and expectation and you linked them together. It becomes expectant hope. 
There is an end. There's something that you know is going to transpire. And because of that, you can't wait to see what's going to happen. This is from a man who's about to die. And his hope is in Christ. He's saying, look, I I know this is going to work out for something that's going to be amazing. Can you say that? Do you have that kind of boldness that's spoken of here in verse 20? That word boldness there is a little bit unusual in the original language because it means actually to have sufficient courage for the time. It means that whatever you need, God gives. And you live in that whatever you need, God gives. And so it's sufficient boldness. It's like, here I am in this situation because you can't really store boldness up, amen? It doesn't work very well. You see, one of the problems that we have in our walks with the Lord is we kind of treat it like a college course, And so we start here, we're freshmen, we go to Jesus school, and there in Jesus school, we we learn those first things. And so first, I remember that I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace, and I need a Savior, and I give my life to Christ, and so I'm just thankful to be saved. And then as you move along the line in that maturing, you become sanctified and set apart, and God does new works in your life. All of a sudden, what would have been boldness to simply walk into a church door turns into boldness to share your faith with people that you don't even know. Sufficient boldness, sufficient courage. You grow in that. And and in it, he says, look, I want my life, no matter what my life may come to at any other point in time, when it comes to the things of Christ, I want my life to magnify the Lord. Paul didn't rely on himself to get that done. He relied on the Spirit to get that done. We see it throughout Scripture. You can see it in the life of Stephen. Do you remember when he was stoned there in Acts chapter 7? What he actually said, he's, he's dying. He's actually literally losing his life because he's being stoned and he's saying about the people who are doing it, God, don't hold this against them. That's boldness. Most of us in that situation, that is not what we're thinking, amen? It's like, Lord, stop this. Take care of them, God. We would be thinking other things, but Stephen was so concerned that his life would magnify Christ, he says, don't hold it against them. Can you imagine what happened to those people later in life as they thought back on the boldness of Stephen? I was throwing rocks at his head. And he's saying, don't hold it against me. That is a powerful witness, family of God. Amen? You see, what it boils down to ultimately for you is your priorities. And where it should really land is Christ is my life. You know, there's an awful lot of the body of Christ And I do not mean this to shame anyone who's sitting here this morning. But there is an awful lot of the body of Christ. If the headlines tomorrow were to be something along the lines, Christ proven to be a falsehood. There's an awful lot of people who name the name of Christ. Nothing would change in their life. It wouldn't affect them at all. Because they don't live for him today. 
There's very little in their life that actually would cause you to think that they even know Jesus. They live just like the world. You see, but for us, what really should matter to us is that we're magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people get caught up in all kinds of things, and they're the same things that occupy the mind of people without Christ. We get concerned about the the world's stuff, its values, possessions, the same popular, the power, pleasure, prestige, all these things that the world concerns itself with. Sometimes the body of Christ, we get caught up in those things. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, your life should boil down to glorifying God, magnifying Christ, that people would know that you're a believer, that you're a Christian. It should be something that's so much a part of your DNA as a human being that it is inseparable from all of the rest of it. That people can't know you without knowing that you know Jesus. Can you say that this morning? That when you go to work, no one can know you without knowing that you know Jesus. Oh, that that would be true. And I believe it's an area where many of us can apply some extra effort. Everything Paul desired, everything he attempted, everything that he was inspired to do was inspired by his devotion to the Lord. And I pray that that would be uh, how we see our lives. In other words, it was the single purpose of his soul. When you think about Paul's life, he says it in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. It's the sole aim of my living. You see, a lot of people, just like the world, you see a person who's a hedonist or someone who's devoted to pleasure uh, seeks his own amusement, amen? He's devoted to pleasing himself or herself. A, A person who aspires to fame. Someone who really wants to be famous. Their whole goal is their personal ambition. They are their number one fan and they make sure everybody else joins them. They're devoted to themselves. You probably know people like that. I do. You bump into them, you can't get two words in edgewise with them. It's I, 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 I. Someone who is an explorer at heart. And think about this for a moment. Can you imagine being Robert Byrd trying to travel to the North Pole at the turn of the century prior to, you know, us developing things like, you know, these wonderful snow cats that can travel across ice and, you know, unbelievably warm clothing and tents and portable heat. They're out there boiling whale fat and narwhals down and sitting inside of a little canvas tent, and it's 50 below zero outside. Someone who is an explorer, they set out on that journey. Everything they had went into making that journey happen, and they would die to that end. How about us living that way for Christ? Can you imagine if we all became explorers for Jesus? 
that everywhere we went, we looked at it as a great adventure to go someplace where the Lord was not yet known, and we took Jesus, and he was in the first position, and it's as if we went everywhere going, I just want to make him known. Amen? You see, we've celebrated Christmas. Now take the baby Jesus out of the manger and take him out into the world. Amen? That's what we need to do. Don't pack him up in that box and put him away. Go explore someplace with him. And frankly, this has some very purposeful implications. Think about some of these things. You see, for me to live is Christ. It implies all kinds of things in your life. Let's look at some of these things. I I want people to know And I want to know as much of Christ as I can possibly know. Amen? I want to model his life. I want to have his spirit working in me. I want to possess his heart. I want to have the same kind of temper. Any other man in here want the temper of Jesus? Oh, amen. You, You see how it works? To know Jesus is to be transformed and to be so much like him that people would go, Wow, you look like Jesus. You talk like Jesus. You act like Jesus. Your temper is like Jesus' temper. Your love is like Jesus' love. I want to know that. How about to imitate him? Think on these things for a moment. They're simple and yet they're profound. Can you imagine if every Christian actually imitated Christ? You'd see that need, and it would be absolutely impossible for you to walk past that need. You'd see an area of service. It would be absolutely impossible for you to not serve in that area of service. You would see those words as they are spoken to be fit for the hearer and seasoned with grace. How many marriages would that fix? Do you get the... Do you you understand? You see, sometimes we we need to be brought to these simple things. How about making his gospel known? Do you ever think of that? You may not be an evangelist, but you can exercise the gift of evangelism by the way you live your life. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Because they bumped into you in your driveway when you were getting your paper in the morning? You know, some of us still get those. I've had some great conversations with our neighbors. Well, where are you going? I'm going to church. Really? What church do you go to? Well, it's Calvary Chapel South Bay. Really? Who's the pastor there? I am. You see them kind of with their beer. Make his gospel known. How about to enjoy Christ? Anybody in here enjoy Jesus? Amen. How about enjoying Christ? That means to commune with him, have in common so much with Jesus that you're walking in his presence is the fullness of joy, folks. It's not a bummer to be a Christian. 
It is a joyous experience to love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? We have joy. You see, these are gospel implications. They're purposeful. They work out. We make Christ known. We preach him and we magnify him. Some people, when we use that phrase in English, magnifying Christ, they almost, it's like, no, I can't do that. Sure you can. You need to magnify Christ. You know why? Because there are people in this world whose Jesus is very tiny. They cannot see him. And you can be the lens through which he gets magnified in exactly the same way that a telescope takes and brings near a a star that is billions of times larger than the telescope itself. Now all of a sudden people can see that star, amen? You want to magnify Christ. Some people, when they see, uh, even hear about Jesus, they're like, ah, don't tell me about this Jesus guy. And frankly, many people will miss Jesus unless you magnify Jesus. He needs to be so alive in your life, so reflected in your character, so made known to other people, that when people see you, they see him. You don't become him. You're not like some new Jesus. But you so reflect his character that through that lens, as he shines, he shines out of you to the world. You magnify Christ. You don't make him better than he was before. You simply let people see him because they couldn't see him before. They don't even know where to look. If you ever go on a little star search, I guarantee you most of you are not going to know where to find A217B star. You're going to need some initial directions. You're going to need some coordinates. Someplace out there in the heavens, in our northern hemisphere, lies that star. But unless you know the general place to look, you will never find it. And the same is true with us and Jesus. People don't know where to look. And so they're looking to you to magnify him, to bring him front and center that people could see you and thereby get a little glimpse of Christ. And so many people have such a little Christ that he is distant. You want to bring him close. You want him so alive in your life that other people look and they go, wow, that's a big Jesus. He's a God that is able, and through him we are more than conquerors. Amen? You're magnifying the Lord. You're magnifying Christ bringing him very up close and very personal to people around you. You see, so often we take these passages of Scripture and we almost think of them in the abstract. And when you do that, we start to miss some of the very simple meaning. And so Paul uses a word here and it almost, dude, does this have, this guy, he's got a, what is this, a death wish or what? No, you need to understand what he's saying. He says, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's he saying? To die is gain? How is dying good? Look, dying in that sense that he's talking about it is very good because it's your reward. It's the end of all of this earthly travail. It is not something we sit around, boy, I just can't wait to die. Please don't say that to your wife. Don't say that to your husband. Oh, I can't wait to die, honey. Boy, if I was just dead right now. It kind of sends the wrong message, amen? 
But you see, as you're living your life out, what happens is at some point in time, y'all are going to die. Amen? Winner. You see, very often we look at it like, oh, no, you know, I, I didn't make it to here. I didn't get there. I didn't get. We look at it from the negative. You see, as we live out our life, at the very end, the very most wonderful thing that can ever happen to us happens to us. We pass from this life to the next. And Paul uses this word, and it's translated death, but it means simply to depart. And it, and it, all of these little subtleties that I've listed here, the Greek word, it, it means several things. It's used that way in the New Testament. It means to take down your tent. Amen. If you're in a campground, when you depart the campground, you take down your tent. Amen. That's a picture. It's a way you can understand it. You don't permanently live in the campground. Amen. You live someplace else. And when you take down your tent, you're departing. You're in essence dying to the campground. Another way to look at it, when a sailor would take off out of harbor, if you've ever sailed a sailboat, there's a time when you're leaving the harbor, you're normally under power, maybe you have a small motor, or maybe you're using your sails very lightly to give you just enough speed to get you outside of the harbor jetty or the breakwater, and then all of a sudden you set the full set of sails. Gone. You're out of here. It it means to, to set sail. It means to loosen the ship up and you put up as much canvas as you possibly can and you are out of here. It's a pretty awesome picture. It's the same type of word that we use for setting free of a prisoner. Think about it for a second. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people in prison that aren't going, oh man, the day that I get out of here is going to be a glorious day, amen? To die is to be set free from the prison that is your body, your mind. It is to unyoke the oxen. And it provides for us this picture which becomes to us a very simple test. Read this. When you look at it this way, you can use it for you. Verse 21, for to me to live is blank. And to die is blank. Fill in the blanks yourself. Think about these things. Because a lot of Christians, you could, you'd have the same words in there that the world would put in there. For me to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. Oh no! For me to live is fame. And to die is to be forgotten. Oh God forbid! Isn't it some of the saddest things you ever see when you see Aging Hollywood personalities are like 175 years old. They're kept alive purely by Botox. And, and you know, and they're like still trying to be 20 years old. And they're like, they lost it like decades ago, but they don't know it. And they're like, they're, they're so miserable. You see, their fame is gone. How about power? People who attain to high reaches of the political world. Same exact thing. No power. Oh, it can't happen. We call them career politicians, right? You know what I'm saying. Some of those folks need to find another way to make a living. They need to go away. Because they ceased being useful back in the 50s. 
They lose that power, so they stay in office. It's the picture. Paul's echoing that. Look, for me to die leaves no regrets. There is nothing I'm leaving here on this earth that I don't want to do without someday, amen? So you can keep it. If I croak, Connie's gone. You can have our house. We don't care. Cart's all yours. The Lord raptures his church home. Eh, the Mormons can have this building. Just saying, we'll leave the real Jesus. And I say that as a matter of truth. Amen? It ain't about the building. It's about the Christ who's in us, our hope of glory. You see, it's living with no regrets. None. It's not, wow, that's horrible. It's, yay, I'm getting set free. How does that look? Let me wrap it up. It looks awesome. Anybody in here want to be freed from sin? That happens when you die. Live for Christ. To die is a gain because you're going to be set free from the bondage of sin. How about temptation? We got ham in our fridge right now. It's calling my name. My arteries are already overflowing. It's like I will no longer. It's like, oh, Lord, deliver me. No temptation, no tempter. You're no longer going to think those thoughts. How about delivered from your enemies? Anybody got enemies in this life? No more enemies. You know, I'm kind of thinking as we go through these things, that's a good deal. How about suffering? Anybody want to be delivered from suffering completely and finitely and totally? It's what happens when you loose the sails. It's what happens when you pack the tent. How about death itself? How many people fear death? People are wondering, oh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm just scared. God doesn't want you to be scared. He wants you to be aware that when you pass from this life into the next, glories forevermore is what awaits you. How about be reunited with those that you love that have known the Lord when you get there? That great reunion. Amen? Sounds like a pretty good deal. For me to live as Christ, so I get to live my life for Jesus while I'm here, and then when I take my last breath, it gets even better. Hallelujah. Why should we not welcome that hour? You see, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, no matter what happens here, I want to live for Christ. But when I get done living for Christ, it's even going to get better. The prisoner who's long been in the dungeon, I don't think dreads the hour that he gets set free. Amen? The the man who's in a foreign land, if you've ever traveled, if you've traveled around the world, man, I I almost get on my knees and kiss the ground when I come back to this country. I, I, I love traveling. I, I want to be a light other places. I'm like, oh, Lord, I can't even wait to see what that's going to feel like when I get home to heaven. Amen? Does the sick man dread the hour when you're finally healed? I think not. Does someone who's lost and wandering when the rescue team comes? Oh, well, just leave me here. Of course not. 
You see, there will one day be fullness of joy. And what matters now is how we live for him. And if you live for him now, then what you're going to receive later will be beyond your imagining. It will be so good. You're, you're going to pack your tent, set your sail, and loose your oxen. You're going to head to heaven. And oh, by the way, you'll never write out another tax return, never punch another time clock. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful time in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would move in our lives. God, would this be truth? God, would we live for you every moment of every day while we're here? Would we seek to make you known? God, would our lives magnify you? Would people understand who we are because of the Savior that we love and serve. And so, God, we we give you our lives again. We thank you for choosing us and loving us and blessing us and filling us and giving us wonderful ministry to attend to while we're on this earth. Lord, help us to live for you so that when we step out of time and into eternity, every one of us will be looking forward to that day when our sails are loosed and we're sailing on that ocean of heaven. God, we love you, we praise you, we bless you, and all God's people said, Amen.